So it's finally over. At least it might be. The fall. How scary was that? Two series. When the suspense would kill you. When one night in Tesco's I could hardly get from my car to the door. Because we'd foolishly gone after an episode. And I was petrified about who was getting out of the car beside me. In case it was Jamie Dornan or something like him. It was frightening dark stuff. And this week it was over. There was... An episode in the first series where three Fitzroy people were in it. It might even have added to our fear that we knew that road. We knew that house. We knew that policeman. But it's finally done. This psycho-philosophical, theological head-to-head came this week when Paul Spector met Chief Constable Gibson across a table for what seemed a little bit of a long scene of dialogue. But it was in that dialogue, I think, that we got the title of the entire series, The Fall. Nobody fell, other than the ones who were killed, and even they didn't fall, they were carried. So what was this title, The Fall, all about? I have to confess that I was convinced that the writer Alan Cubitt must have been from Northern Ireland because of the theological nature of the title. Northern Ireland folk, whether we go to church, whether we used to go to church or whether we never went to church or never want to go to church, have something theological written right through us because we cannot get away from theological ideas. I was pretty sure that Cubitt must have been Northern Irish and there was something deep in his psyche from growing up here that had this theological title but then I heard him in an interview and he was English maybe even the English have some specks of theology still within their psyche but it was that dialogue that took us to the heart of the title Spectre telling us that When he killed, he was beyond God. He knew what, well, at one stage he said he knew what it was like to be God when the last breath was coming out of his victims. But he was beyond God. He was beyond the law, secular and religious, he said. The fall, deeply ingrained in a killer who might be dead, but then again, he might not be dead. So don't think that the popularity might not give us series three. But what I found most intriguing was not the fallen nature of the murderer. It was the specks of the fallen nature of those who chased after him. It was how Cubitt and at times a very clumsy script, and at times you're not serious, fella. You don't think that really would happen in real life kind of script. That in the midst of it all, there was something going on that showed that we were all involved in the fall. The sexual deviance of Stella, and then of the assistant chief constable, who almost attacked her in a room in the Merchant Hotel. When it came down to that last bit where Stella's going in to see Spectre 
and Burns said that she shouldn't go, he speaks, she speaks to him and said, we've all crossed the line. You crossed the line with me. We've all crossed the line. So, listening to an interview with Cubitt, he explained this. He said, we're all on a continuum. Yes, hopefully none of us get to being Paul Spector in the next year. But all of us crossed the line. We're all on a continuum of our fallenness. Paul put it, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are freely by his, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Or John put it, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Perhaps what the fall did was it revealed the reality of that. Who in our lives, who do we point to as being the Paul Spector? And what does Alan Cubitt say? You yourself are on the continuum. What does Paul and John say about our own fallenness? Herod. Herod. The Christmas stories are all wonderfully edited. Luke, in his nativity, makes this birth worldwide. It's about a census that was done in the time of Caesar. Caesar. Empire. Baby. Part of it. Matthew, on the other hand, is writing for a Jewish audience. And so he sets his story of the birth in the midst of Herod. This is a national thing. And Herod utterly fascinates me in this story. Oh, I am fascinated by it all. This is my favorite time of year. I love this idea of the angel's song of peace on earth. I'm fascinated by a virgin teenager giving birth to the God who created the world. The Magi, the fact that it wasn't the scholars that rushed once they'd read the scriptures to get to see this Jesus, but it's these guys who are oriental stargazing mystics that get into the most holy of holy with their gifts, or the dirty Balamina shepherds out around Bukna where flows from. All of those things fascinate me. But Herod, Herod, this is some story. He's in on the events. It seems to me that in Luke's account, and particularly Matthew's account, that the stargazers don't have any scriptures really to look at. They're looking at charts of stars in the sky. And the shepherds aren't that theologically astute, I wouldn't imagine. Although, sorry, Flo, the ones around Buckna probably pretty much are. But Herod... When he hears what's going on, he goes to the theological college. And he goes and tries to find the truth. The shepherds are mesmerized by these angels. The stargazers have no idea what they're going to or what it's about. But Herod knows exactly what it's about. 
He pinpoints it in the Old Testament scriptures. So here is a nation who'd been yearning and waiting for this moment to come for centuries and centuries and centuries. And one man in the heart of it has the truth of it. Herod. And what does he do? What does he do with the truth? What does he do with the revolution that has arrived? He attempts in all his best efforts to kill it. Who was Herod? Well, he was born in 73 BC, it would seem. And he was the Roman appointed king of Judea in 37 BC. They would say that his reign's broken into three different places, the years of development, and then this uh, which is 37 to 25. So he had 12 years when he developed what it was that he'd been appointed to by the Romans. And then from 25 to 13, well, he took on this pro- these projects of building a splendid nation where fortresses and aqueducts and theaters, public buildings and everything. He'd really set it all up. And then his last years were full of domestic troubles and tragedies. He got ill, there was infighting, there was mental and physical disorder. And we come to this moment where in the midst of all of this, this madness that was going on physically and mentally within him, he tried to get rid of the baby born in the straw and killed the children around. Josephus doesn't mention the killing of children at that point. And the historians would say it. If it happened in some widespread nature, maybe that that would have been the case, that Josephus would not have missed it. But it's also suggested that in Bethlehem it was a small area, and there might not have been that many children killed at that time, so it wouldn't have been worth that kind of recording. But it would seem that the character of Herod at this time was pretty much in such a deranged state that it's likely that this is what he would have done. Why? He had the truth. He was the one who could have heralded, in human terms, what the angels heralded. Herod was threatened. If you remember over the last couple of years how on and on I go about it, that this whole deal, this whole Christianity thing is Jesus and God versus empire, pharaoh, Caesar, Herod. And Matthew clearly tells us here that this battle between empire and God is happening right at the birth where empire attempts to get rid of God. The empire strikes back. The ruthless tyrant, the self-obsessed, self-indulgent, self-centered king tries to murder the baby. Herod. Can I take us back to the fall? We are all on a continuum. So what I want us to ask ourselves today is, where are the fragments of Herod? In us? In me? In you, in us, in us outside of this? Where are the fragments? Where are we on the continuum that led to what Herod did 
and tried to do. Where are we threatened by this birth? Where are we threatened by these truths that we've been singing? Where are we threatened by the scriptures that we read that we know maybe as much as Herod, but actually maybe not? Where are we threatened? Where are we right and nobody's going to tell us otherwise? Where are we on the throne and nobody is going to push us off our throne? Where are we not prepared to pay the cost of what this baby's birth means? Because Herod knew that if this is who the scriptures say he is, and he has arrived, I will pay a cost. He knew that he would pay a cost. Where are we on the continuum? Where are we not prepared to let Jesus in the throne Where do we want to stay on our own little thrones? When I was studying my master's, uh, I think Stephen Williams had a a wee mischievous glint in his eye when he said to me, would like you to study Walter Rauschenbosch's uh, The Theology of the Social Gospel. And um, I'd never heard at that point of Rauschenbosch, so off I went to read it. And the further and further into it I got, I thought, this is interesting stuff. And David and and Stephen were doing the series they did here at Lent in Union and I was just starting to read the book and I remember Stephen saying to me one evening after it, he said, well, are are you enjoying Rauschenbosch? And I said, really interesting stuff. And he knew it was kind of subversive the way he was challenging me. Here's what Rauschenbosch says about his ministry. He was a preacher who went into Hell's Kitchen in New York uh, at the end of the 19th century and, um, and this is what he says. Now my views on the kingdom of God or the social gospel did not come primarily from my theological training. However, my convictions in this subject came from my work as a pastor in a horribly depressed area of New York City, a place appropriately called Hell's Kitchen. Alcoholics and prostitutes were in abundance. Domestic violence was far too common in the families who lived in these overcrowded tenements. The unemployed rate was unbelievably high, and so was the rate of child mortality. It was in this context that I began to understand sin in a new and radical way. Baptists, don't be hard on the Baptists here. Put evangelical Christians across Baptists. Had always, known, had always been known as railing and condemning the sins of alcoholism, smoking, gambling, and sexual promiscuity, such as were exemplified in the lives of the many prostitutes who lived and worked very close to our church. Christians have tended to equate sin with personal sins and personal behavior. But as the church historian Talbert said, Baptists have an abysmal record in addressing social sins and working to change the structures of society to make them more just for all. We, let me repeat it, have an abysmal record in addressing social sins and working to change the structures of a society to make them more just for all. As I had to write an essay about all this and realized that as we move deeper into some of Russian Bush's theology, he did waver theologically. And that was the excuse that was used by evangelical Christians to dismiss the social gospel for a hundred years. When I studied in Union College, social gospel was like using F words or B words or other kinds of words. It was just the great heresy of our time. There are social workers out there. They're trying to feed people and clothe people, whereas we're all about 
getting people saved. Of course we are. But for a hundred years till John Stott declared that the greatest heresy of the 20th century was our lack of involvement in social justice, we ejected Russian Bosch's theology and missional challenge. Why? All kinds of reasons for it. But I couldn't help as I was writing that essay a number of years ago conclude that one of the main reasons we rejected it was the cost of it. It threatens our lives. If we can narrow down the gospel to just my soul, then I can domesticate it to such a point that I can deal with it in the comfort of my house off the Malone Road in Belfast. And I can go back there at night and I can sit in the Malone Road and it's it's, uh, leafy suburbs and I don't need to be involved with the people that are alcoholic or drunk or prostitute. Let's think of the people Jesus hung around with later on. But if I can minimize it to my own behavioral patterns, then I can be safe from the dark world out there. When actually Jesus came to be light in the dark world out there. And so we can know our theology. And we can put a great theology together because I believe that Jesus came to save my sins and that my behavioral patterns need to be dealt with with this baby. That is part of the deal. But it's only a part of the deal. And if I get this truth into such a point where I've read the scriptures and I know the scriptures and I minimize it to that one point, then I kill the idea that the baby had of a kingdom coming on earth as in heaven, that will shake the foundations of kings and powers and bring justice and peace to all. And then this week, I haven't been able to get out of my mind some of what Brian was praying for on what I call the hell. Stormont. Are there fragments of Herod? Going on at Stormont. Who's on the throne? Who's not willing to release their power? Who is determined that their rights, that their identity, that their parades and flags and beliefs are going to stay on the throne? And any idea that we might have to forgive or reconcile or do anything for the common good, well, let's get out there and kill that idea of that baby as early as we can because we are not getting off our throne. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. That's what the baby came from. And we need to call our politicians, particularly those that will be singing carols this morning as we are singing carols, who will be listening to God's word the way we are listening to God's word, who will be unpacking God's word the way Herod unpacked God's word. We need to be challenging them and saying, if we're not about this peace on earth, then we're not about the baby. We're about the killing of the baby and the fragments of Herod are all too 
visible and real. But what about us? Let's bring it personal because it is personal as well as societal. What are the shards of Herod cutting my soul open? What are the bits of this scripture that I'm unwillingly killing the idea of? If Fitzroy's 2015 is to be as exciting as it can be with the foundations built or dug at least and the possibility of what we can then do into this community and towards this city centre. If the potential that we pray about and we're investing money in is to happen, then I, your minister, need to uncover the fragments of Herod in my life. I need to see where I am on that continuum. And I need to see personally where I'm trying to kill the baby and the idea of Messiah. What are the rights that I am clinging too hard onto? Where do I want to be in power? What in my identity do I not want to give up in order that this baby would have his way in the world? I need to get off my throne. I need to stop pleasing the powers around me the way Herod was trying to please the powers around him. I need to be prepared to pay whatever it is that's going to cost us in order to be Christ in this city at this time. Where am I threatened with a heavenly meteorite hurtling to shudder the earth to its core and a soft little baby born in straw? I need to look deep within my soul for the fragments of Herod. And then I need to ask this baby to heal and to save and to redeem where I am on the continuum so that I and you as us might bring the peace on earth that the baby came to bring. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to see that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that that starts with me. Help me to be freed from deceiving myself to think there is no sin within me and to seek to confess, to be forgiven and to be made righteous by Christ. Help us in this Christmas story to see Herod, yes, as an enemy to the kingdom and the empire, or the kingdom and to God, but help us to see something of ourselves in here. The people of the book we pride ourselves in. The people of sound theology we pride ourselves in. And yet Herod had the book. And he knew the theology. Help us to see where in our fallen nature 
we have a habit of protecting our throne, our power, our identity, where we are threatened to really open up to this Savior and Messiah, to really follow and not storing up treasure on earth, to really follow in turning the other cheek and forgiving our enemies. To really follow in taking up our cross daily to follow him. Lord, shine the light of your spirit deep into our souls and point out to us the fragments of Herod in us all. So that this baby born might have his way with us and might bring us that redemption and salvation that he came to bring. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.